Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up is the Conservative leadership race, a referendum on the convoy. Also, conversations after the debate with a couple of the leadership candidates. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. It is Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. It is my great pleasure to have you tuning in to the program today. I am back from Ottawa, where I was on the ground covering and also speaking at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference. And you may recall I did a, a bit of a show on that. I think it was on Friday, talking to Troy Lanigan and Jamil Giovanni and uh, Premier Jason Kenney, who I wasn't even planning to interview. He was just wandering the halls, and I sent a message to his director of communications, because you never want to be the one that just like runs up and shoves a microphone in someone's face. Well, sometimes you do, but I try not to do that to people that have made the time to come on this show. And his communications director said, yeah, yeah, he has some time. So uh, it was great seeing Premier Kenney and everyone at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference. I met so many people there who are viewers of this show or listeners to this show or readers of my column or my newsletter who uh, came up to introduce themselves as I asked you to do. So thank you very much. And also thank you for not being crazy. You may be wondering why I am markedly more casual today than I usually am in the short sleeves. I'd love to make some, you know, claim about it being a show of the people and, you know, time to dress down and the warm weather. The reality is I've had three conferences that I've been to in the last three weekends and I need to desperately do laundry, which is in the machine right now. So today you get a dress down, more casual Andrew Lawton, which I can do because I'm throwing the interviews I recorded when I was more dressed up. So that's the trade-off. If I'm wearing a jacket in the pre-taped interview, I can go short-sleeved otherwise. But in all honesty, it was great being at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference, formerly the Manning Networking Conference, especially after the last two years where basically in-person events have been illegal. So seeing everyone in person, a lot of people I knew or have only corresponded with online, instead of in, including, by the way, some people I work with who I've never actually met in person. But also, it was my first time back in Ottawa since the uh, time which you can uh, see the evidence of here at which I was pepper sprayed covering the Freedom Convoy. Yeah, that was my, I mean, my face is already unpleasant to look at, but even more so that day, as you can see, when like the left side of it was all uh, swollen and uh, puffy and burned. So I had a nice nostalgia moment as my hotel room overlooked the Chateau Laurier, where I wasn't staying at the Chateau Laurier, but where uh, I, I overlooked where this all went down in front of the Chateau Laurier. So, uh, yes, brought back the painful burning, singeing memories. I want to talk about the leadership debate that took place at the conference. And one of the big themes that's emerged from the Conservative Party of Canada leadership race, there are six candidates now. We've talked to five of those six on this show. Leslin Lewis, Roman Babber, Scott Aitchison, Pierre Polyev, Jean Charest. The sixth candidate has not agreed to be interviewed yet. He's also not been participating in the debate that happened so far. That was Patrick Brown. Now, I may have mentioned it on a previous show, I can't remember, but I'm hosting and moderating a debate on May 30th that's being put on by the Independent Press Gallery, and of that, Patrick Brown still has not RSVP'd. He's not acknowledged whether or not he'll be there at all. And I should say you can learn about that by going to independentpressgallery.ca. We have uh, tickets available if you're in the greater Toronto area and want to come by. 
and we have it's going to be a great time we have a journalist panel that's going to be asking questions including Sheila Gunn Reed and Derek Fildebrandt and Rupa Subramanya and as mentioned yours truly will be there so it says a lot about candidates who have complained about mainstream media coverage and canceled culture that haven't yet agreed to go to a debate being hosted exclusively by independent media so my hope is that by May 30th all the candidates will be there that's certainly what I, I'm going for uh, but again if not we'll have great discussions with the ones who are there the debate that took place that my colleague Candace Malcolm and Jamil Giovanni hosted was one that in, in, it was entertaining to watch because there was a lot of tension which if you're hosting a debate you don't want it to be boring you want there to be contrast but the feistiest moments the feistiest moments came when you were asking one question, basically, not the one that the moderators asked, but as a viewer, the question you're asking is, which of you supports the convoy? And it was interesting how the convoy became the litmus test for a candidate. You had Pierre Polyev saying that Jean Charest didn't support the convoy, which Charest, by the way, agreed. He said it was a, an illegal blockade and got booed. And then you had Leslin Lewis, who was then accusing Pierre Polyev of not being a real supporter of the convoy. Just take a look at a montage of this. What did you take from that accusation that the Conservative Party didn't stand up for freedom during the pandemic? Pierre. Well, I Mr. did stand Pondo. up for freedom during the pandemic. From the very beginning, That's I was, not true. I was among true. the loudest voices. That you were not one of the loudest voices, Mr. Polly. You were not one of the loudest voices. In if fact, could, uh, you did not speak up until it was convenient actually, that for is you not to true, speak Madam up. Lewis. You did not that even not go true, to the, uh, the, the trucker protest. You actually went and you took a picture in your neighborhood at a local stop. You did Mr. not Polyev, speak please. up for the, tr um, for the truckers and you did not speak up the loudest, Mr. Polyev. First of all, I did go to the trucker protest, both on Parliament Hill and in my community. You took a picture I, I was, of I was, I was there at the pro trucker protest. I was on the street. I was in the, uh, supporting those who were fighting for their freedoms. When it was and, I did, and, and I did, in fact, I did it if I could. If I could, if I could, in fact, I opposed the vaccine mandates as soon as they were announced. This whole situation with the vaccine mandates, the trucker's convoy, never should have happened in the first place. Leadership would have engaged people. It should never have happened in the first place. I agree with Scott. This mess that we witnessed is the fault of Mr. Thank Trudeau. But you. Mr. Polyev, during that period, supported an illegal blockade. Mr. You cannot Mr. make laws and break Mr. laws Shrey. and then say I will make laws for other people. No, I'm sorry, but that is a question of basic no. foundation and principles in my life. I said at the very outset before they even arrived, that I simultaneously stood with the law-abiding and peaceful truckers who were fighting for their livelihoods and liberties while condemning any individual who breaks the law, blocks critical infrastructure, or behaves badly. That is the position I took then. It's the position I take now. Now, Mr. Charest learned about the trucker convoy on CBC, like other liberals, and he misrepresented them. Frankly, Mr. Charest, for you to talk about law and order is a little bit rich given that your party, your liberal party, took a half million dollars of illegal donations when you were the head of that party. The average trucker has more integrity in his pinky finger than you had in your entire scandal-plagued liberal cabinet. I want to come back to something I've heard here because I can just imagine myself right now in the audience and I'm listening to this. And we have one candidate accusing another of not being with a convoy and the other one with being with a convoy. Here again, we politicize the issue. Instead of talking about the underlying issue, which is making people do something against their will. 
which is forcing someone to make a decision between their ability to put food on the table and their personal health care choice. Can we not speak about the underlying issue? So all the candidates are trying to stake out their positions here. Jean Charest calls it an illegal blockade and gets booed. Pierre Polyev calls Jean Charest a liberal and says he supports the truckers. Leslin Lewis says, yeah, but you you didn't actually go to the convoy. I was there. And and basically, I mean, as someone who, who finds the convoy this fascinating chapter in Canadian politics and Canadian history even, it's interesting to see, quite frankly, that the Conservative Party of Canada, whose former leader wouldn't say whether or not he supported it, is now a battle of who supported it more and who supported it first and who supported it better. And that was one of the things I raised with Leslin Lewis, the Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidate with whom I caught up after the debate. So what was your feeling about the debate, the first debate of the leadership race? I thought it went very well and I thought I executed and answered the questions with great proficiency. We've seen in the last week uh, the importation of an American debate uh, in the overturning or potential overturning of Roe v. Wade and the federal government in Canada responding by doubling down on protecting abortion rights in this country. If you're the Conservative leader, how do you lead the party and the country through that debate? Well, I will definitely have free votes because it's an issue of conscience. And I have really laid out what my policies are on abortion. It is such a polarizing issue and we need to build bridges. There are so many people that are pro-choice, that have very similar views with some people who are pro-life and there, there's, there's meetings in the middle. And my policies of helping pregnancy care centers and preventing coerced abortion and fighting misogyny within the womb preferring a boy over a girl, fighting against that, that stereotype. These types of policies are unifying, and the majority of Canadians believe in them. So I don't think that it is something that needs to divide Canadians. I see that there's commonality and we can build bridges. One of the sources of contrast in the debate was an exchange between you and, and Pierre Polyev about the trucker convoy. And, and you, as I took it anyway, were accusing him of not really being a genuine supporter of the movement. What is your belief on that? Well, my problem is is that as conservatives, when we are afraid of labels, like you heard somebody else talk about conspiracy theories, then we start to do things. Like if we're quoting saying something about the trucker convoy, you use quotations, which Mr. Polyev did do at the beginning. And that gives you an opportunity to backtrack. I see that as disingenuous. Um, if You can't jump onto something if you truly believe in freedom. Jump onto it when it's politically expedient to do so. And that's my concern. If you are the leader, you're going to go up against a media that, as we've seen in the last three elections, is tremendously hostile to conservatives, was hostile to the convoy, is hostile to social conservatives. How do you prevent the conservatives from going through another electoral loss when you are in this climate that's just not receptive to conservatism, it seems? Well, that's part of it is our problem because we, uh, we don't push back. We run from the media. We don't have conversations. We allow debates to be closed in a free and democratic society and I just put what's out there. I'm honest about where I stand. I try to form policies that will benefit all Canadians and so I'm not embarrassed about what my conservative policies are. So there's nothing that the media could attack me on because my policies are going to be out there for them. 
If you're going through the race, I know it came up tonight, you're an Ontario Member of Parliament. It's a field of Ontario and one Quebec Member of Parliament. How do you unite the country with winning support in Quebec, winning support in Western Canada, when this seems to have been a, a sticking point for governments and parties in the past? Well, I did very well in the West because I have deep conservative values and I think it's very important to make sure that we don't have this Ottawa bubble mentality. We can't be disrespectful to, ver to various regions. We have to look at what their strengths are. We have to formulate policies that will really highlight the strengths of various regions and come together as a team. If you are successful and you become the Prime Minister, any of the people up on the stage with you tonight, would they be in your cabinet? I respect all of them that have put their name forwards. I think that they're all formidable opponents, and I think that they're all competent in what they do, and absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. That was Leslin Lewis, who, interestingly enough, didn't attend the media scrums where you answer questions from mainstream media reporters. They were all upstairs waiting for other candidates, and then she came down and spoke to me instead. So I was quite uh, quite grateful for her taking the time. The, the interesting thing is the race is one very much of contrast. You had Scott Aitchison going to do the can't-we-all-get-along routine, and we'll have an interview with him uh, later this week. You had Roman Babber, who was really making a, a calm, appeal to democracy and to democratic conservatism. Now, interestingly enough, with Roman Babber, I've interviewed him before. I didn't know how well he'd do in the debate. The guy is a one-term Ontario MPP. He's done interviews before, but he's never been really, that I've seen anyway, that I've known about, on that national stage up against, again, a former Quebec Premier, uh, Pitbull and Pierre Polyev, someone who's got a lot of class and grace when she speaks, Leslin Lewis, and, and all of these other people. I didn't know how he'd fare. He did very well. Roman Babber did remarkably well, and I'm not just basing this off of my own arbitrary assessment. A lot of people came up to me and said that, yeah, they thought he did well and, and were surprised because, like me, they I wouldn't even say had low expectations, but they just didn't know what to expect. So I sat down afterwards with Roman Babber to break down the debate and also some of the other themes of the leadership race. Take a look. So Roman, how did you feel about the debate last night? I felt pretty good. I felt that uh, our message resonated. Uh, I thought it was very, very lively, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that consensus says that we've exceeded expectations. Obviously, the nature of leadership races is that you're appealing to a relatively small segment of the population, conservative members or, or prospective conservative members, and there's always that pivot that comes after when you have to start sharing your message with a broader audience. And I know in the past this has been a, a big frustration with people where you get a leadership candidate who says one thing to win over conservative members and then something else to win over uh, Canadians, often doing the, the latter unsuccessfully. What is it about your message that you feel could make that transition without becoming diluted? This is a point that I specifically addressed last night, that I said that you can't have a leader that runs to the right during the leadership and then pivots left during the general election. It creates distrust among the conservative movement and uh, it gives rise to accusations of flip-flopping by our political opponents on the left. So I, I think you have to remain very, very consistent from the start. And, and that means saying what you truly believe. And I believe that a lot of Canadians are worried about the erosion of Canada's democracy. Uh, I think most, many Canadians can agree objectively that our freedom of speech is being eroded, that our fundamental rights are being eroded, and that Canadian opportunity is being eroded. And that message resonates both with Conservatives and with Canadians generally. 
When we last spoke, you talked about how it's really a, a democratic conservatism that you, you said defines your approach to these issues. Do you feel that in politics right now, not just in the Conservative Party, but in general, there is enough independence for members of parliament? I think that in the last couple of years, we've seen parliaments that suffered from a deficit of democracy. And I, I think I'm, I'm a good example where, uh, and, and the Doug Ford caucus is certainly an example, where I think you had three or four members that uh, left over COVID-related issues. I think that it's essential that we have democratic conservatism also within our parliamentary caucus to preserve Canada's democracy and to unite our party. Um, members work for their constituents. They don't work for the party boss. And it's good to have perspective. It's not just good for democracy. It's also good for public policy. And I'll also uh, end by saying, I think that, um, as, as you know, yesterday I, I've introduced my democratic conservatism policy. I don't think that the party boss can fundamentally usurp um, democratic rights, such as introducing legislation or, or voting their conscience. I've been made to vote against my conscience, and it's something that I would never impose on anyone. But it's important to remember that members come with their own constituencies, their own uh, movements within the party, and we have to welcome them in order to unite the party. When you look at the landscape in Canadian politics right now, conservative to a lot of people is a bad word. It, it comes with the baggage that, you know, whether it's the unacceptable fringe minority to Justin Trudeau or, or people that, you know, have never really engaged with a, a conservative or, or knowingly a conservative. What is, in your view, the branding issue that conservatives have right now? And, and what's your solution to that? I think that, uh, first of all, very rarely were we able to take our case directly to people. So it typically goes through a media filter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And of course, by the time it, it gets to the uh, to the viewer or the voter, uh, the message is diluted. The left plays the politics of division very, very well. And in fact, we're seeing that right now with the prime minister. Outlets such as Rome uh, help us get our message across. I think it's important that we communicate uh, a sensible, fair message that can resonate with Canadians. And that doesn't mean that we have to abandon our principles on the contrary. We have to stand by our principles, but we have to apply it to everyday life that is truly important for Canadians. Uh, Candace Bergen, the interim conservative leader, in her remarks had said that you need to have a, a consistent conservative message and you need to be unafraid to share it. And, and whether people want to read between the lines and suggest she was talking about a particular leader or uh, candidate uh, in, in Canadian politics, I'll let people decide. But there is something about that where we look at a lot of the comments that are made, even in the last two elections by Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole, that uh, fail to have any real clarity to them when they're talking to Canadians and talking to, to voters and, and talking, as you mentioned, through the media filter. So I guess the question is, you know that as a conservative leader, if you're successful, you're going to get the same barrage that every other conservative leader before you has gotten. How are you going to stand up to them? For the last year and a half, I've been doing uh, quite a bit of mainstream media and have been able to remain not just consistent, but getting myself invited back. I think that the media starts feeling that the public is a little uneasy about the fact that only one narrative effectively has been presented over the last two years. I think COVID exposed that very, very well in that everyday people that, that perhaps felt differently about the everyday 
public health measures, felt that their view was not represented. I think COVID exposed uh, the mainstream media and, and governments to some extent. And so I am very confident in continuing to to speak what I believe and, and do what I believe is right. Um, I think that also voters would generally appreciate that even if you disagree with them, even if they disagree with you, they would rather know where you stood and, and they would respect you for that. And finally, there's a general distrust in the political system generally. I think it's, it's at all time low. And so clarity on issues and consistency on issues uh, is something that will go uh, very far with voters these days. And that's certainly something that uh, I bring to the table. Roman Babber, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Roman Babber, formerly up until I think about three or four days ago, the Ontario MPP, now a Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidate, one of six in this race. And I should point out about this, I don't actually think I've done a show dedicated to this topic. There was a big kerfuffle late last week about the cutoff and who made the cut because you had other candidates, Mark Dalton, Leona Alislev, Grant Abraham, Joel Etienne, and Joseph Borgel, the latter of whom was on this show, who said that, uh, well, I should say that two of them, Mark Dalton and Leona Alislev said, we don't have the money, we don't have the signatures, we're dropping out of the race. The others said that they did submit it. They submitted the $300,000 in the signatures to the party and were still declined. And there was a lot of confusion about what had happened there. And there are two sources of it. And I mean, you can take this for what it is or not, but it is true. And it is something that has happened in past leadership races where the party takes a cut of every donation. So if you donate $100 to your leadership candidate of choice, Jean Charest or Pierre Polyev or Leslin Lewis, whatever, the party takes, I think it's 15% of that. So it's an $85 contribution, assuming it's 15%. It's an $85 contribution. Or to make it easier, it's, uh, I guess you know, a hundred, whatever the case is. So that means that when they say they have to raise $300,000, that's $300,000 net. So presumably that would be $345,000 that they need to raise to the party. So for a lot of them, I think they only just got 300. They only just cleared that 300. And once the party takes its cut, it's not there. Now, I believe this is a stupid rule. I believe it's a bad rule, but it is a rule. And it's something that's been made transparent and forthright to the candidates themselves. Joseph Borgel, he said he cleared that. He said they handed over to the party, I think it was $367,000 or something like that, and were still declined. And this is where people start to get a bit more conspiratorial or suspicious about it, because there are a lot of compliance measures in place about how money has to be processed. Now, these are Elections Canada rules. Like one of them, for example, is because every donation has to be tracked to an individual and there are donation limits, if you send a check that's from uh, two people, so sometimes a couple will have have both names on the check, there's something that needs to be done to clarify who that money came from. Did it come from Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith? And if you don't do that, it's not nullified, but they need to go back and, and check it and, and assess it. So if you send all your stuff in on the last day, you actually don't have enough time to go back and reassess this and deal with it. Now, you're also relying on the goodwill of the party to quickly review these things. And I would say that the party should have built in a review period 
after the submission. Say, we're, we're going to submit, and then we'll give you three or four days on top of that to fix any issues we see, but they just have a hard cutoff. And if you submit your stuff early, apparently they'll tell you, and if you don't submit your stuff early, you're just hoping that you got it right and have everything there. And it is unfortunate because when you have stories like this, they undermine confidence in the process and they make it look like people like Joel Etienne, who most Canadians have never heard of, and Joseph Borgel, who was running quite a, a strong grassroots upstart campaign for a political unknown. It makes people think that they're being disqualified because of their views rather than because of administrative stuff. And, and that's the worst thing in the world when you have to start talking about process because people don't trust and people don't believe that you actually have your stuff together and are letting this be a fair fight. And that's not an accusation of anything. I'm, I'm not saying wrongdoing took place. I'm merely pointing out that when people don't trust the system, it becomes very difficult to get anything else done. But however it came about, there are six candidates in the race remaining. And of those, one of them is uninterested in doing debates and interviews so far and that's Patrick Brown. And you'll notice I've been taking quite a light touch to the leadership race. And part of that is because, actually, I'd say almost all of that actually is because on May 30th, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be moderating that debate. So I don't want to come out swinging towards this candidate or that candidate so much so that they're going to be like, oh, well, I, I don't trust him to be a fair moderator. No, I've interviewed all the candidates. I'll interview them all again. We were trying to get some done at the Canada Strong and Free Conference and, and weren't able to sit down with everyone, but we're going to keep sending out those invitations. And I'm actually tomorrow going to be in Edmonton for the first official Conservative Party of Canada debate, which I should point out, interestingly enough, Patrick Brown has to be at under the party's rules. Under the rules they set out, the, the leadership candidates have to go to the two official party debates, and if they don't, they can be fined. I think it's like $50,000 that comes out of their compliance deposit. So, I mean, theoretically, you could skip it if you think that, you know, the $50,000 is not worth whatever you could gain by by not going, because the Brown campaign's view is that they get more out of not going to debates by going to Sikh temples and uh, Muslim mosques, as opposed to like other non-Muslim mosques, but temples and mosques and churches and synagogues and all of these things and selling up memberships. That's their view. That's their strategy. So he, he actually, Patrick Brown sent out a thing, as I mentioned on the last show, that he won. He said he won the debate by not going, which is, uh, I mean, that if you can, maybe you can win the election by not running. Maybe I could be the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada by the time this is all done. We've got to wrap things up there on the next show. We'll have some reports from the Edmonton Conservative Leadership Debate and also some other interviews that I did when we were over at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference and other things that are happening in the country. We got you covered. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.